Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. and they're delivering a presentation and they have a negative view on selling, they buy into that cultural hypnosis, they just put hurdles up in front of them, imaginary hurdles, but they're very real for the person, and they'll never achieve their potential. And so what I do for people is I remove those hurdles. Hi, it's Michael Senoff with Michael Senoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. Get ready. I have a wonderful one-hour interview with a master sales trainer. His name is Eric Lofholm. I met Eric back in 2004 and heard him speak on a conference call. And over the last several years, I knew I had to get him on as a guest. And so here I've had a chance to really dig into Eric's brilliant sales mind and learn an incredible amount of information from this interview. Let me tell you a little bit more about Eric. Eric Lofholm is a master sales trainer who has trained tens of thousands of sales professionals nationwide. He's the president and CEO of Eric Lofholm International Incorporated. It's an organization he found to serve the needs of sales professionals worldwide. He began his career as a top producing sales representative for three different sales organizations. His consistent track record of regularly outperforming his fellow sales reps earned a reputation of success that follows him to this day. Eric's been trained by some of the top trainers of his time, including Anthony Robbins, Dr. Donald Moyne, Ph.D., as well as countless others. Many of America's top companies have hired Eric regularly to train, motivate, and inspire their sales team. His clients have added millions of dollars in sales to their record after attending Eric's energetic and groundbreaking seminars. He has delivered over 1,500 public and private presentations in companies such as Microsoft, Century 21, Prudential, Smith Barney, Remax, the U.S. Army, and thousands of other companies. So sit back and listen to me interview Eric like he's never been interviewed before. And I hope you enjoy. Let's get going. If you'd like to learn how to write incredible sales scripts for selling more of your product or service, go on over to www.salesscriptingtips.com. That's www.salesscriptingtips.com. Tips.com. So, Eric, tell me a little bit about your background, and I want to save a little bit of our talk for some of the strategies and some of the information on sales scripting in your theory on the sales mountain. But I think it's really critical that you describe some of the challenges you had early on and a little bit about your story because it's certainly an exciting one with the ups and downs. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in all of this. Take me back to that time when you were flipping burgers at McDonald's. I left high school. I didn't really have any goals or direction in my life. My father encouraged me to go to college, so I did that. And I ended up in community college for five years. I never even got the two-year AA degree. And when I was in community college, I was uh, literally a cook at McDonald's. Where were you? Where were you located? I was at um, in Rockland, California, where I live now. Community college is called Sierra College. Coming up in a family of college graduates, there was a lot of pressure on me to do well in school, and I just that wasn't my thing. And it was a huge blow, I think, to my family when I dropped out of college. Up the road from Rockland is a little town called Auburn, California, and that's where I was a cook at McDonald's. My life was just going nowhere, and I ended up going to a seminar, a real estate investment seminar, one of those 
on the, the late night infomercials and I went down there that day and I experienced a turning point in my life. There was a speaker named Dante Pirano who was uh, just an amazing, amazing speaker and he he got me so enthusiastic and so excited about real estate investing that not only did I buy his program, but I set an intention that I wanted to go work for him. And I had taken a day off of my job at McDonald's to be at this seminar, so I had no real estate background or anything like that. And I ended up applying for a job. And I don't know how uh, it happened, Michael, but they hired me. They never should have hired me. I had no sales background, three years at McDonald's, five years in community college. And they offered me an entry-level telemarketing position. And I also became Dante's assistant. So part-time I was this assistant to this very successful real estate investor and seminar speaker, and then part-time I was in telemarketing. Was he selling kind of like a course like Carlton Sheets, how to buy or how to invest in real estate? Yeah, he was very much like Carlton Sheets. He was a real brilliant guy. If he would go and buy apartment buildings and convert them to condos and then sell those condos off, to our customers so they could buy real estate from him and then we also would teach people how to become successful real estate investors and that's what attracted me to work for him is I had this idea in my mind that I was going to become successful as a real estate investor. Were you ashamed that you were working at McDonald's or you were pretty cool with it? It's interesting because I like so many people growing up I had really low self-esteem my parents got divorced and so I grew up living with my mom and living with my dad, and then I had step-parents, and in high school, I never really thought I could fit in, and, and I had real low self-esteem, and what's interesting is when I went to work at McDonald's, you know, everybody's got the same uniform, and for the first time in my life, I fit in. It's funny, thinking about it now, um, people think, wow, you must have hated working there, and I, I actually loved it, and I felt like my confidence started to grow, and it was, a, it was a really fun time in my life, but it was a low point financially, because I only used to make about six or seven thousand dollars a year yeah how old were you then how old are you um, now i was at that time uh, 18 to 21 and uh, i'm 37 now i wasn't really dissatisfied with my life because i didn't really have any goals and so i was cruising through life and nothing at that point in my life that would give any indication that i would go on to be teaching sales skills to people all over the world and then i moved to reno nevada to go and work for Dante, and I was doing the entry-level telemarketing, and an interesting thing happened in my life when I moved there is I was engaged prior to working for Dante, and I moved to Nevada, and my fiance was in California, and she came to visit me, and I said, why don't you come and live with me in Nevada, and she says, well, I was raised old-fashioned, and I can't live with you until we're married, and I said, well, we're already engaged, why don't we get married? And she says, well, okay, when would you want to do that? And it was on a Wednesday. I said, how about Saturday night? So it's a heart of Reno Chapel in Reno, Nevada. She was age 18. I was 22 years old. We eloped. We're still together. We've been married now for a little over 15 years. Wow, that's awesome. It was a big turning point for me because one of the principles of success is what's your why? Why are you going to go out and succeed? And when I got married, it created a new level of motivation for me is – on my own, I was a cook at McDonald's and five years at community college. And once I was married, all of a sudden, I had a reason to go out and be successful. And it came into play about a year after I'd worked for Dante. My first year, I was his bottom producer. And I wasn't there to learn sales. I had no interest in selling. I was there to learn how to be a real estate investor. And at the end of my first year, they put me on quota probation because I missed quota two months in a row. The quota was 10000 in gross sales. And my manager, Richard Hogan, said, Eric, if you don't hit your quota this next month, then we're going to have to let you go. Were you doing outbound telemarketing? Yeah, I was calling people that had attended his seminars in the past. So they had, at one point, not necessarily now, but at one point, they had an interest in real estate investing. Were they students who paid for it, or was it a free seminar? They were people that had attended a free seminar and had purchased his basic package. So they all knew who Dante was. They were a believer in his message. They had purchased his program. And because I was new, I got the older leads. So these customers had already been worked through very well. And my first day, I'll never forget it, they handed me a stack of leads. And one lead was on an 8.5 by 11 sheet of computer paper. And they must have given me 100 leads. And they said, here you go. 
make as many sales as you can. No training, no scripts. I had no clue, and no wonder I was terrible at it because he didn't have a system in place. And the way the culture was, it was like a survival of the fittest. In retrospect, the fact that there wasn't a system, it became critical in, in my success in the future because the responsibility was now on my shoulders. I had to figure it out. Not only was it survival of the fittest, but you could have two sales reps working the same lead. And so whoever got the credit card first was the one that, that got the sale. And so it created a really high level of hunger. And I didn't become interested in learning selling until they threatened to take my job away. What did they tell you? Well, they said, you know, you misquoted two months in a row, and we have a three strikes and you're out rule, so you got one more month. So what did you have to do that month? You had to do $10,000 in gross sales, and the commission was around 20%. You're listening to an exclusive interview found on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Do you remember how much those programs you were selling were? The lowest price point was $39 video, and then the highest price point was $3,000, and you could go on a real estate tour in Texas and view properties and write contracts and and those types of skills is what they taught. And I had a comfort zone issue where I was literally afraid to ask an order larger than 1000 so I wouldn't sell those products. Tell me what made you uncomfortable about that. It just seemed like a huge amount of money to me. You know, I'd never uh, had money, never made much money in my life, and, and asking someone else to make a $3,000 investment in $500 or $1,000 airfare and hotel, I just couldn't get my arms around asking for the order. And so I just avoided that, and I got really, really good at selling low-ticket items. It wasn't even so much a belief. It was more of a, a comfort zone issue. I started developing my own sales scripts. Initially, I wasn't taught sales scripting. I, I didn't even realize I was doing it. And I found that I could give the same presentation over and over and over and over and over again. And then in giving that presentation, I was able to consistently make sales, albeit at a low price point. And that's where the hitting the quota came in. Is I was doing pretty good in terms of number of sales, but my average ticket was so low that when you added it all up, I was less than 10000 a month. So did you break through that comfort zone there? I did break through it, and it happened the month that I was on quota probation. The top producer in the office was a gentleman named Tony Martinez, and Tony became a mentor to me and still is a mentor to me. I actually spoke with him just yesterday, and he was trained by another who would eventually become a mentor of mine, a man named Dr. Donald Moyne. And Dr. Moyne is the author of Unlimited Selling Power and many other books. And in my opinion, he's the world's greatest sales mind. He's a brilliant man, and he approaches selling from a scientific standpoint. And he he spent more time with top producers observing them in real-world sales situations than probably anyone else in the history of the world And what he does from a scientific standpoint is he'll watch their presentation, he'll take notes on it, and he was able to break down scientifically principles of influence to where you could take this rock star salesperson who does it naturally, break down scientifically what they did, and then teach that to somebody like me who wasn't a natural-born salesperson. So Dr. Moyne taught it to Tony Martinez, and then Tony Martinez taught it to me And then eventually, Tony introduced me to Dr. Moyne, and then I started learning it directly from Dr. Moyne. Fast forward 15 years later, and occasionally the three of us will teach seminars together, which is a lot of fun when when we all get together. So let me ask you this. After studying and meeting Dr. Moyne and Tony, what happened to your sales volume after that? The month after I did the 10,500, I was just about to be fired, hit the quota. The next month, Michael, I did 51,000. Wow. And then a little bit later in the year, Tony Martinez left Dante's company to start his own seminar company. And so Tony left, and Tony was doing the front of the room speaking for Dante. He was phenomenal at it. And so now Dante needed somebody to do front of the room speaking for him in place of Tony. And they came to me and asked me if I'd like to do it. At that point, I was 23 years old. I don't think they thought I would be successful at it. They had a seminar coming up in Boise, Idaho in like five days, and they needed somebody to do the presentation, 
So they came to me, well, Eric's been sitting in the back of the room. <laughs> so they send me out there, and I don't think they're expecting anything. How many people were there? Do you remember? Yeah, I, I absolutely remember. I spoke to 21 people. Were you freaking out a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I was really nervous. And the first talk I did, Michael, they, they were probably like, if Eric gets one, that would be good. I sold nine out of 21 at $1,495, wow. which is 41%. And that month, in Tony's speaking slot, I spoke four times, and I did 160000 in gross sales in those four talks. You know, obviously realized that I had a gift for selling from the front of the room, but it wasn't just my gift. It was me being in the presence of Tony, watching him give this presentation. And I didn't give the same talk that he did, but I had the essence of it. Tell me, what did your dad do? Did he have any kind of influence on you? My father, although he's a pharmacist, he's also a speaker. And he's not a, a motivational speaker. He's, you know, he's more of a professor-type speaker that you'd have at a, at a university. But growing up, having my father be a speaker, it created a belief in me that I could do it, too. Who at that time do you think was one of your all-time biggest influences as far as speaking? I've been around the best of the best in the world, and... Dante had a charisma to him. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it in, in anyone else. He was just so amazing. So I was around Dante, then I was around Tony, and then I started delivering the presentations myself. And then Dante actually, shortly after I took that position speaking, he retired. And he has been out of the seminar business now for more than 10 years. He's a global real estate investor. He invests all over the world, multimillionaire. Tony and I just recently spent some time with him, one of his numerous homes. But he shortly thereafter retired, so I was that opportunity ended. So what happened when you left Dante's, and how did you get into becoming a sales trainer? It hit my low point of my life after I left Dante's. Wait, tell me what happened. I went and started a telemarketing company, and I thought because I had been successful at selling, that if I set up a team of telemarketers, they could pull me off the phones. I wouldn't have to sell and I would be very successful owning my own business. And as you know, owning your own business and selling are two completely different skill sets. What were you planning on selling once you set up your telemarketing operation? It was similar to what I sold for Dante. One of the products that we had working for Dante was a foreclosure seminar. And so the instructor is a gentleman named Ted Thomas, and he's been around for many, many years. I've heard of him, yeah. One of the real estate gurus out there. And so... Ted and I became friends, and Ted said, Dante's getting ready to retire. Why don't you start up your own telemarketing company, and you can call and sell my foreclosure programs. And it sounded good to me. And so we went and created a joint venture with another gentleman you might have heard of before named Wade Cook. Yeah. And back then, Wade was on his game, and he was one of the hottest seminar guys in the world at that time, best-selling books, and mm -hmm. Ted knew Wade. And so Ted went to Wade and said, hey, we do a joint venture and we'll sell my foreclosure course to your students. And I've got a, a guy that will do the telemarketing. And Wade, you don't have to do anything. Just provide us the leads, and we'll give you a cut. Wade says, oh, that sounds good. And he was producing tons of leads. Uh, see, this guy was, at that time, probably the biggest guy in the industry, if not the biggest in the top ten in the world, with all of his best-selling books and his seminars. I mean, he was so hot back then. Right, I remember. And so here I am, 23-year-old Eric Loss home with these two multimillionaires, Wade Cook and Ted Thomas, and so I'm doing this joint venture, and I don't know what I'm doing. So I start up this company, and we're doomed to fail from the get-go. I don't know anything about hiring, training, budgeting, running financials, and so 90 days later, I'm out of business. Did you sell anything? Yeah, we were, we were successful at selling. We, yeah. Because we were good at sales. Yeah. I didn't know how to manage the personnel, and I didn't know how to hire, and we were doing about 10000 a week in gross sales. It's just that in a, a simple way, the way the split worked is Wade got a third, and Ted got a third, and I got a third. Yeah, there was not enough margin for you. Out of my third, I had to cover all the expenses. Expenses came out, and then we split profits. It probably would have worked, but see, I didn't know anything about business back then, and so my heart wasn't in it to keep it going, and so it went upside down, and... And then I had creditors calling me because I was behind on my, my other bills. Pressure just got to me. And so I declared bankruptcy over $26,000. And I felt like a failure as a husband. My wife and I separated. I ended up homeless for a day. My car got repossessed. My whole world 
came crashing down. My inner game, I just from mindset standpoint, I couldn't deal with the failure. And so out of that, I vowed out loud, I said, God, I will never go into sales ever again. Really? Too much pressure. I ended up spending the night in my car. I had no money. Then uh, my wife ended up going to live, ironically, with my mother. Shortly after I came to my senses and called my wife up and just profusely apologized, told her I made a mistake and I just need some time to clear my head. And So we started communicating again. And, and I always thought that I'd be a waiter. And so I went and I applied for waiter jobs in Reno. And I was applying at these casinos and they have the entry-level waiter position as a graveyard shift. And I applied for seven casino graveyard shift waiter positions, and I could not get a job, Michael. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so uh, the low point of my life was Club Calneva did not hire me, and they gambled there for 25 cents a chip, and so you can get a hot dog and, and a beer for a buck. So if you have no money, you go to Club Calneva. So the clientele is just terrible, and they're like, you don't have enough experience. So did you finally find a waiter position? So I got hired at Harris Waiting Tables Graveyard Shift at the Garden Coffee Shop, and I was making money a dollar a table. And uh, when I got that job, I told my wife, okay, let's get back together, move back to Reno. And she says, well, where are we going to live? I said, and it took me a good two months saving up money, a dollar a table, to get the money for an apartment so we could move back in together. We moved into Foxfire Apartment Complex in Reno, Nevada. Michael, one of the happiest moments of my life when I got this one-bedroom apartment and my wife and I were able to, to get back together and, and then ended up moving on and I went and worked for Tony Robbins. Tell me just a little bit about your experience with Tony Robbins. I worked for Tony Robbins for three years. I started off doing entry-level talent marketing, got promoted to manager, and then I went out in the field and promoted his seminars. And one of the things that happens when you work for someone like Tony Robbins is your confidence really grows. He's amazing at building people's self-esteem. And so by being in his energy and in his culture there, in his environment, all of a sudden I now said, okay, I want to go out and I want to be an elite seminar leader. And the skills that I had were around selling. And I'd always been good at teaching others sales skills back with Dante. And so just over nine years ago, I was 28 years old. I left Tony Robbins' organization. And I started my sales training company. I was working out of a spare bedroom in my condo. And my dream was to be the Tom Hopkins, the Zig Ziglar of my generation. Eric, this has been an amazing story. What a journey you've had. And I really believe you are one of the Tom Hopkins or Tony Robbins in the sales field today. Many people resist selling, and they're uncomfortable selling, even as you were. How do you help people with your programs like that? Well, there's a huge problem globally right now. And the problem is that there's a, a cultural hypnosis. Hypnosis is the non-critical acceptance of an idea. And there's a stigma about being in sales. Do you explain that? Well, what happens is certain times ideas will come to us, and we will accept them as the truth. My daughter will be complaining of a hurt ear. And then the doctor will look in with his, his equipment, say she's got an ear infection, go to the pharmacy, get amoxicillin, take the bubblegum medicine a couple times a day for 10 days. If she doesn't get better, come back and see me. Well, when I get that prescription, I'm not going to go research it on the Internet. I'm not going to go to a second doctor, a third doctor, a fourth doctor. I'm not going to go and look at natural remedies. I'm going to take the prescription, and I'm going to get it filled. I non-critically accepted what the doctor said, and that's what hypnosis is. It's when you non-critically accept something. It's not the watch waving back and forth in front of you. You're getting sleepy sleep. It's when we non-critically accept something. That's the definition of hypnosis, and so... There's a cultural hypnosis that selling is negative, and people all over the world buy into that hypnosis, and so they have this negative view on what sales is. So now they end up drifting into sales, which is how most of us get there. I have the dream when I was in high school of working for straight commission and stressing out about making my mortgage payment. You know, who, who dreams of that? But somehow we end up in sales. And so now what most people unfortunately do is they end up in sales with this hypnosis that selling is a bad thing. 
so they carry that belief into their sales presentations with them. And what it does is it acts as an imaginary hurdle that prevents people from achieving their potential. So if you and I are in a 100-yard race and we're the same speed without hurdles, and now we run the race, but I have to jump over hurdles and you don't, you're going to beat me every time. So when people are in sales and they're delivering a presentation and they have a negative view on selling, they buy into that cultural hypnosis, they just put hurdles up in front of them, imaginary hurdles, but they're very real for the person, and they'll never achieve their potential. And so what I do for people is I remove those hurdles. And one way that I do that is by reframe what selling is. Because to me, selling is not, well, most people think of sales as arm twisting, high pressure, manipulation, used car sales, selfish, it's all negative. And that's not what my view on sales is. My definition of sales, my reframe is selling equals service. When you sell, sell from honesty, integrity, and compassion. It's not about a hard sell, it's about a heart sell. So the first thing I do with people is get them to embrace selling and ultimately become proud of being in sales. Sales is an honorable profession, although most people don't view it that way. And then once I've installed that new mindset in them, then they're far more open to implementing powerful sales techniques that can help their clients better understand the benefits that their products and services offer. Now, I know that you're world-renowned for training people with sales scripting, but when did you really first realize how to use sales scripting and sales scripts and to teach that in your trainings? I first learned it from Dante, although I didn't know what I was learning from him. When I watched Dante speak, every time he finished his talk, people would run to the back table and sign up for his program. And what I realized later is he had a script. He said basically the same thing in every presentation, and that's what produced that predictable result. When I was selling the low-dollar items for Dante, I was saying the same thing basically every presentation. I was producing that result. It wasn't until I met Dr. Moyne that I realized that when I was selling the low-dollar item, I was doing it unconsciously. And with Dr. Moyne's knowledge, I started learning how to consciously create scripts that would produce predictable results. There's a hypnosis around scripting because when people think of a script, they think of canned, rehearsed, mechanical, inauthentic, it's just not me, it's not flexible, and that's not what a script is. So people are operating with the belief that that's what a script is, and with those beliefs, they resist scripting. That's not what scripting is, though. The definition of a script is words in sequence that have meaning. So if you're saying a sentence and it makes sense, that's a script. So it's not a question of whether or not we're using a script. The question is how effective are your scripts. When people wing it, that's a script. Most people in selling have gotten good at a bad script. And so Dr. Moyne, he would go and he'd study these sales superstars, people like Ben Feldman, the world's greatest life insurance salesperson, or Joe Girard, who Dr. Moyne spent one-on-one time with and he's in the Guinness Book of World Records for most car sales in history. And he would watch these master people, the best of the best, and he would watch them. And what he found was they were opening the same way, their presentation, they were closing the same way, they were telling the same stories, they were overcoming objections in in the same manner. And so he started discovering that that was the key. And with that, Dr. Moyne became this unbelievable scriptwriter. What was his uh, driving force? Why was he doing that? little background on him. Neurolinguistic programming was founded out of UC Santa Cruz by Grinder and Bandler. Bandler being a student at UC Santa Cruz, Grinder being a linguistics professor. And Dr. Moyne was a student with Richard Bandler. So he came up in the NLP movement, and then he went on to study in uh, Oregon and got his Ph.D. in psychology, and he wrote his Ph.D. dissertation on what separates sales superstars from the rest. And so he went and approached it from a scientific standpoint and really had no, no interest in teaching salespeople. These companies would get a hold of Dr. Moyne's PhD dissertation and they would call up and say, hey, would you be willing to come and teach our salespeople what you know? You know more about what top producers do and can explain it better than our top producers. 
and that ended up taking his career in a whole new direction. He wrote the first NLP-based sales book ever written called Modern Persuasion Strategies, and he spent the last 25 years of his life in this conversation of persuasion, influence, scripting, sales mindset. And of anyone I've ever met, he's the most brilliant sales mind out there. As far as how many people he studied, I don't know what the number is, but I know it's been a lifelong study. How would you define sales scripting in general terms? I would just define it as putting together an effective presentation prior to delivering that presentation. And anybody in the world can take whatever they're currently saying in their presentation, like whatever someone currently says, I'd call that their baseline script. And what I teach people how to do is take their baseline script and then persuasion engineer it. So what that means is we're going to look at what are you currently saying, and then we're going to take a step back and look at it and say, how could we more effectively, more powerfully, more persuasively communicate this idea? And we break down the script from the opening to the probing questions to how we close to the stories that we tell, and we add in these powerful persuasive techniques And anyone can come up with this information, with this knowledge, and have a more effective presentation, and they would have that knowledge on every presentation that they give for the rest of their life. Okay, I want you to kind of think back and come up with a story for me, just maybe a student of yours who was maybe failing and he started implementing sales scripting into his business, and tell me a before after after he started using script. Anyone that pops into your head? Yeah, I mean, a, a great example, this is one of my star students, and it's a woman named Arvi Robinson, and Arvi is a business owner, and what she teaches people how to do is grow their business by doing public speaking. So she'd work with a real estate agent, a loan officer, a financial advisor, and teach them how to give free local talks or seminars as a way of generating leads for their business. And one of the ways that she trains people is one-on-one coaching. And so RV, when she met me, she had a resistance to selling, that cultural hypnosis of thinking selling was a bad thing. And she had a huge resistance to scripting. And she also had a situation where her bank account was a lot lower than what she wanted it to be. So she was open, even though she resisted. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's hardtofindseminars.com. What was her resistance, and do you see a lot of that same resistance with other salespeople? Most people that I come across, when they first meet me, resist scripting. Why? Because they think scripting is the telemarketer interrupting your dinner at 7 o'clock at night reading from a piece of paper. They think it's canned, rehearsed, it's inauthentic, it's just not me, I could never do that. And so it's not a part of their belief system that this is a key to success. And it went even deeper with RV because when RV would teach a financial advisor how to grow their business doing speeches, She was teaching that advisor to not use a script. Part of her philosophy as a trainer was not to use scripts. And um, so she was willing to be coachable because she wanted better results. And one specific thing I did with her is I said, how much is your coaching rate? And she told me what she charges by the hour. And I said, RV, that's way too low. You need to double your rates. What was she charging an hour? She was charging at that time 125 an hour. Okay. I said it needs to be 250 an hour minimum. And she said, well, Eric, I'm having a hard time getting 125 an hour. How am I going to get 250? I said, you're not, it's not that you're having a hard time getting 125 an hour. It's that your sales presentation, your script is not building enough value. And all we have to do to get as many people as you want paying you 250 an hour is to build more value in the sales script. And so I worked with her, and we re-engineered the scripts. And there's several things that we did. And then I said, okay, go out, increase your rates, and you're going to have a lot more success. And I checked in with her about 90 days later, and I said, how's it going with your new rates? And she goes, it's not. I said, why not? She goes, I didn't do it. I said, I laid out the whole strategy. I gave you the script. Why didn't she do it? It was out of her comfort zone to charge the higher amount. I said, okay, Arby, just just." Do it, okay? Do it. She calls me up a couple days later, and she's, I can feel her bouncing on the phone. Eric, 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 you'll never believe it. You'll never believe it. I said, what? She goes, I did what you told me to do. 
and I just got a credit card for a thousand dollars. You'll never believe it. I said, RV, absolutely, I believe it. And it would have happened ninety days ago if you would have done what I told you to ninety days. And she's now used that script and made a small fortune with that script. And I met with her in December, and I said, okay, we're raising you now. You're no longer hourly. Now you're yearly, and your fee is five grand. And shortly thereafter that session I did with her, she picked up her first client at five thousand. In her ability to clearly communicate the benefits and value that she can offer somebody with the one-on-one coaching that she provides. If you'd like to learn how to write incredible sales scripts for selling more of your product or service, go on over to www.salesscriptingtips.com. That's www.salesscriptingtips.com. Tips.com. Well, the most incredible thing I see is that once a company or a business or a salesperson has proven sales scripts, it's scalable and they can integrate those scripts in their entire inbound or outbound sales process. Is there an example of someone that you've seen take sales scripts that you've created for them and implement that into their business and have had a positive result? Well, I, I did that exactly with um, Laurel Langmire. All right, tell me that story. Laurel is a global seminar leader, and, and she was referred to me, and, and uh, she wanted to grow her business. She's got all these leads coming in. Salespeople aren't converting. And so I came in and did some analysis and said, well, you don't have the right scripts. They're not communicating the benefits of all of your programs. She goes, okay, so what do I need to do? I said, well, hire me, and I'll help you. And so she hired me. And we took her inside sales team from about 50000 a month in gross sales to over a million a month in gross sales. And what it did was it gave the salespeople more confidence. It gave them predictable results. It gave her new hires an opportunity to become far more successful. It decreased the turnover. And the scripts that I wrote, she you know, has those. Let's say her business goes for another 20 years. She can benefit from those scripts for the next 20 years. So it just makes sense. She's a big name. At what point of her career had you met her? Was it early on or was it more as her career was really starting to take off? She had had her business, I'm going to guess, for three years. And she was on her way up, but her books weren't out yet. And and the books just made a a huge difference. She's a best-selling author and written multiple best-selling books. And so what's great about the work that I did with her is that when the books hit, and the leads really came in fast and furious, her inside sales team was prepared to convert all those leads that came in. She had all her inside salespeople in-house, or was she farming it out? When I was working with her, everybody worked in-house. I don't know what her current model is. I was on as a consultant for 18 months. Uh, I wrote the initial scripts, trained with her team on conference calls on a regular basis. And so I don't know, you know, as she's evolved, if she's outsourced it. Uh, but at that time, she had a team and everyone was in-house. When someone comes to you and they're a big sales organization and they want to revamp their whole inside selling process or outside selling process, what services do you provide? What are you going to do for them? I would take a look at what their current scripts are, and then we determine what scripts do they need. They might not have any scripts. I've got a, a gentleman right now who does a search engine optimization, and he's really, really good at what he does. Uh, he came to me and said, you know, I, I need your help, and, I said, well, how good are you? He says, well, I can get you on the first page of Google in the next week. I'll show you how good I am. And sure enough, he did it. And I said, okay, you've got a good product here. And so, but he doesn't have a clue on, on how to write sales scripts. And, and uh, that's the key. The key is getting the scripts done. So he and I are talking about working together. And what I'll do with him is whatever scripts he currently has, I'll analyze those, figure out what are the scripts that he's missing, and then we'll prioritize it, and then I'll start writing the scripts. Then we'll test the scripts out on the phone. We'll find the ones that work, and what he'll get as a deliverable is this master script book, and then he'll own those scripts for the lifetime of the company. Tell me, what is, what is a script book, and how is that used for a company? The, the idea is that you would get every product or service that you offer, you're going to want to have a sales script on that. And each objection, the common objections that come up, you're going to want to have multiple written responses. And you're going to want to put all of that into one master binder. So this is like your company's scripts. And so your your one of your salespeople is calling up on XYZ product and they've got the script 
to take the prospect through, identify the prospect's needs, clearly communicate the benefits, uh, and then close. And it's written down word for word. Now, it doesn't mean that the sales rep reads it robotically. Okay, they're going to become the script like an actor or an actress in a movie. You know, what makes them great is you don't know they're acting. You know, you don't know that they're reading from the script. I mean, intuitively, we know that. But, you know, while you're in the moment watching the movie, you forget all about that it's a movie, and you just are there with this great actor or actress. And that's the level that we evolve to as sales professionals, where we're clearly communicating the stories that need to be communicated. We're clearly communicating the benefits. One of the things with RV that I helped her with, she's selling the coaching service for teaching people how to grow their business with speeches. And the question to ask somebody is, if you were out giving speeches right now, how much more business would you bring in? And the prospect would probably say, well, a lot more. Define a lot more. Well, I would get, if it's a real estate agent, I get one extra transaction a month. So if you were speaking right now, you get an extra transaction a month. Yeah, I would. What's the value to you on that? Oh, it's $7,000. And then imagine you're making an extra $7,000 a month. How would your life be different? See, that sequence that I just quickly went through right there, that's a key sequence for RV to go through when she's selling her coaching service. And when the prospect goes through that sequence, and then they compare 7000 a month with a $250 an hour coaching, they go, that's a no-brainer. How quickly can I sign up? Well, once you have your scripts done, is that it, or do you continuously add to them as you add more products or find new objections and new ways of overcoming objections? What's, what do you do with the book? Yeah, it's a living document. So the script is actually never going to be finished. It's always going to be evolving. It's always going to be improving. And it's not that I have all the answers. You know, I'll come up with the best script that I can. And when their salespeople are live on the phone with these prospects or face-to-face with a prospect, they may come up spontaneously with some genius concept. The problem with most salespeople is that when they come up with some brilliant idea, they don't write it down or they don't share it with the rest of the sales team. So when you have the script done and you understand the living document, as people on the team are coming up with good ideas, you're going to keep building that into your script book. And a big part of the script book are going to be your success stories. Nothing sells like success. I shared two stories so far on on uh, our call. One was about RV, and then the other one was about uh, Laurel Langmar and the help that I provided them. Those are very persuasive scripts. So as I get other stories like that, and they come in almost daily of star clients of mine that are out doing great things, those then get built into my script book. But tell me another story, another success story. Sure. Another one of my clients is Doak Bell, and Doak is in financial services. When I started working with him, he was making about $4,000 a month, barely enough to get by, had a lot of fear around selling, did not have effective scripts, and this is something that I work with Doak extensively on. His sales process is a three- and four-step process. He sets the initial appointment. And so there's an appointment setting, and then he goes on the first appointment, and then he goes on the second appointment, and then he goes on the third appointment and asks for the order, or goes on, waits until the fourth appointment and asks for the order. So there's a lot that goes into his presentations, and I've taken Doak from about 4000 in income. He recently had a month where he made over $25,000 in a single month. It's because of all the increase in income that he's made, he owns his own home and six rental properties, and he also owns 40 acres in Colorado that he wants to develop on. That's his dream uh, sometime down the road. But what he has more than anything is peace of mind, knowing that he can duplicate his results month in and month out. So that's a, a quick financial services example. I've seen your analogy for your sales mountain, and I think it's a great metaphor for what you teach in selling. Can you explain to me a little bit more about what is the sales mountain and how does that relate to your sales scripting? The the sales mountain helps people with the starting point of putting their sales script together. And in a simple way, it's an outline. Imagine a mountain. And at the base of the mountain on the lower left-hand side is step number one, which is lead generation. And we're going to lead the prospect up the sales mountain into what I call the sweet spot of the sales presentation. That's the top 25% of the mountain. 
And the sweet spot is where you ask for the order, where the prospect is ready to make a buying decision. So we're going to start at the base of the mountain with lead generation, and then a little bit above lead generation, we're going to go appointment setting. Now we set the appointment. Now we're on the live presentation, and we're going to lead with trust and rapport. And then after we build trust and rapport, we're going to identify customer needs. That's the next step. And after we identify customer needs, we're going to share the benefits. And after we share the benefits, that's where we're going to close. Now we're in the sweet spot, that top 25%. And after we close, the prospect's going to say one of three things. They're going to say yes, they're going to say no, or they're going to give you an objection. Now this only happens if you ask for the order and you're silent. So we've got to ask for the order, and when you ask for the order, predictably the prospect's going to say yes, no, or give an objection. And then after they give an objection, we're going to what I call elegantly dance with the prospect. And this is like a whole other hour-long call. We can talk about elegantly dancing. But the essence is I say, how do you feel about moving forward? And the prospect says, the price is too high. And then I say, well, how much too much is it? And they say, well, it's $200 too much. Other than $200, is there any, anything else that's preventing you from moving forward? There's this natural banter that goes on back and forth when you're effectively selling, and I call it elegantly dancing with a prospect. So we're not arm twisting, we're not doing high pressure. When I hear that, it reminds me of uh, Zig Ziglar's Secrets of Closing the Sale. These are objections I've learned in those books, and I know there's a lot of salespeople out there who would maybe accuse that as being typical stereotype objections that every person has heard before. Do those still work today? They absolutely work, and, and let's think about real-world influence. Okay, so my son is five years old. Let's say I pick him up from school, and this is something that happens sometimes. I'll say, I'll pick him up from school, and my, my son will say, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? So he's closing me. And so I'll say, not today, Brandon. And he'll go, come on, Dad. Now we're having his banter back and forth. And I'll say, well, Brandon, I just took you yesterday. And then he'll go, just this once? And we have this banter that goes back and forth. They're good. I have a five-year-old son, too. Are they not incredible salespeople? And see, this is what happens in the real world naturally. So in selling, we have to be able to naturally interact with the prospect. I had a client who I was selling a $5,000 program to, and I got to the end of the presentation. I said, how do you feel about being one of the 20 people in the program? And then I was silent. And when you do that, one of three things is going to happen. They say yes, no, or give you an objection. He goes, I don't have the money. So I need to elegantly dance with him. I need to say something or that sale is done. So I said, Dane, if you don't do this, then what are you going to do? And then I was silent. And Dane said, after a long pause, do you take American Express? So there's a variety of techniques. You know, Zig Ziglar has some, Hopkins has some, I have some. It doesn't really matter whose techniques you use. The key distinction is when the prospect gives an objection, you've got to say something that makes sense, that's powerful and persuasive, but not pushy. And that's the concept I call elegantly dancing with the prospect. That's the essence of the sales mountain. So when you're creating your sales scripts, you want to have scripts to generate leads, and then you want to have scripts to set the appointment. You want to have scripts to build rapport, and then scripts to identify customer needs, and then sharing the benefit scripts, and then closing scripts, and then objection handling scripts. Thanks for explaining that to me. I appreciate it. Let me ask you this. I've heard you talk about a mentor of yours, and I don't think there's a lot of people who know who he is. His name is Ben Gay. Can you explain to me who is Ben Gay, and, and what was your relationship with him? How did you learn about him? Years ago, when I worked for the Tony Robbins organization, someone came to me and said, um, what do you think of the book, The Closers? I said, never heard of it. He said, Eric, it's the best book ever written on the subject of selling. I said, never heard of it. They wrote down the phone number to order the closers, and I put it in my coat pocket. And, you know, you probably have this experience, Michael. You put something in your jacket pocket, and then you know, six months pass, and you're clearing out your pockets, and then you find this business card right. that you wrote yourself. Six months later, I come across the phone number. I pick up the phone, I call it, and it's Hampton Books. And I said, yeah. I was recommended the, the closers, and uh, this is the best sales book ever written, and I'd like to order a copy. So the person who answers the phone says, you know, thank you for calling because you're interested in the closers, and then they went through the sales script on the special they were offering. 
and it had this whole comprehensive home study program, you know, 199 bucks or whatever the price was. It turned out that Ben Gay answered the phone that day. He's the man behind the Closers book series, which has sold a tremendous number of books through the years. It's the blue book called The Closers at Barnes & Noble or, or uh, any major bookstore. And he happened to answer the phone that day, and I ordered from him. And Ben lives in Placerville, which is near where my mom lives in the Auburn foothills. And so we created a friendship. I was still working for Tony Robbins then. And I said to Ben, hey, when I'm up seeing my mom next, uh, could we have lunch? And so he said, sure. And this is before I ever had my sales training company. We sat down and had lunch, and we became friends. And since then, we've taught some seminars together. He's been a, an advisor and a mentor to me. Uh, he's one of the top minds in the world today on sales and influence, and I highly recommend his book, The Closers. Ben Gay was like one of the top distributors in Holiday Magic, and Glenn Turner was with Holiday Magic and then left them and went to start his own uh, MLM, Costco. That's how I heard about him. Ben came up with Napoleon Hill. He, he, he told me a story one day about when he spent time with Zig Ziglar, when Zig was just getting started, and Zig was doing some customized training, I think, for Holiday Magic, and he was just getting started. He knew Earl Nightingale, and Ben is a, he's an amazing guy, wealth of knowledge, has had a, a big influence on my life. Tell me another good success story. Another one of my clients who had a huge resistance to sales scripting is a woman named Rhonda Scher. And Rhonda teaches people how to be successful in networking. And so anyone that wants to network at Chamber of Commerce meetings or wants to grow their business with networking, she's great at it. And she didn't believe in sales scripts. She's a very charismatic person and always would wing it. She would get mediocre results, good enough results to pay the bills, but not great results. And one of the ways Rhonda sells is on conference calls. And so she'd do these conference calls and would get to the end, she'd make her offer, and hardly anybody would buy. And so I met with Rhonda and I said, Rhonda, tell me about your business and what you're doing. And I did this analysis and I determined she didn't have the right sales scripts. And I said, Rhonda, you need to use proper sales scripts and she's like no 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 and eventually it took her a while eventually she said okay Eric you keep telling me about sales scripts can you help me out so we worked something out and she hired me so we put together this really awesome sales script and she has two conference calls the week after I give her the scripts typical conference calls she generates zero to five hundred dollars she does two conference calls and she generates $8,000 between the two calls right after I re-engineered her script. And Rhonda had a dream when she started her business. She always wanted to buy a car for her husband out of the profits from her business, and she wanted to pay all cash for the car. And she was never able to do it because she was struggling in her business. And once I got her on the right track with scripts, within six months, she went out and picked out the car of her husband's choice, paid cash for it, $48,000, all cash, had a profit from her business with increases that she had from my ideas. And there's a photo of that car on my website. If you go to my website, ericlawfholm.com, you'll see Michael, Rhonda, in front of the car that she bought for her husband. There's a series of testimonials on that homepage, and there's the photo of the car that she bought. So, you know, that's just another story. And the great thing about Rhonda, she has a nice 20-year career in front of her. So she most likely will make millions of dollars as a direct result of what I taught her. That's great. How do you spell your, your full name if I, if I want to go to your website right now? Yeah, it's um, Eric with a C, E-R-I-C, and then Lofholm, L-O-F like Frank, H-O-L-M like Mary, dot com. Do you have some good free stuff on your site, and, and how can I get it? On my website, there's a couple of things that are, that are great. Um, a really great first step. I have a, another website where, you know, we're talking about sales scripting, and, and I, I put all these awesome free tools together on a website, freesalesscriptingreport.com, www.freesalesscriptingreport.com. And what's on that site is a free audio of me spending one hour teaching sales scripting. And then 
I transcribed that hour, a 17-page report of the word-for-word transcription for, for enjoy reading instead of listening. And then there's a special report on there, 21 sales scripting techniques. It's over $100 in information products. And it's up there for free for anyone in the world to benefit from. And, and I did that as a way of, of helping people. And then the other thing on my main website, ericlofthome.com, is I have a team of sales consultants that work with me in my office here in Rockland, California, and they do free consultations all day, every day. And so people go to my website and they sign up for a free consultation, and then that email comes in and one of my consultants gets it, and then my consultant calls up the person that requested it and said, Hi, this is uh, Amy from Eric Offholm's office, and I'm calling. You've requested a free consultation. I'm calling for your free consultation to help you make more sales. They're just some wonderful free tools that I love helping people with. If I called for a consultation from one of your uh, people in the office, I mean, am I going to get some value or am I going to be sold something else? It's a combination of both. Our mission is to help people make more sales. And the best way that I know how to help people make more sales, and I have a whole company that's designed to take somebody from wherever they are and turn them into a sales champion. And so what my consultants do is they share ideas that will help you, and then they'll also share with you how my company can help you go to that next level of success. It's a free service that can help anyone that wants to make more sales. Can you share with me some ways to close more sales? Uh, Absolutely. When we think about closing, one of the, the keys to closing is mindset becoming comfortable with the idea of closing. So many people, when they get to the end of the presentation, they are uncomfortable embracing sales and realizing that selling equals service and being comfortable in the role of selling. And then specifically in the close, we want to use a script. When I close, I always use a script. I know what I'm going to say, when I'm going to say it, how I'm going to say it, why I'm going to say it. And one of the most important keys to closing is being clear, being clear with what the offer is, what the next steps are, and having a compelling offer. So clear, compelling, and then lastly, uh, ask for the order and be silent. And that's when you're selling one-on-one. Anyone that delivers a presentation that does not ask for the order, they are leaving so much money on the table. I mean, think about it. Let's say somebody is a field salesperson. They drive 30 minutes to a sales call. It might have taken 10 phone calls to get the thing, the appointment set up. The prospect might have canceled twice. Okay, finally the appointment's running. I'm going to drive 30 minutes out there. I'm going to sit with the prospect for 45 minutes. I'm going to deliver my presentation. And think about how silly it would be if at the end of the presentation I didn't ask for the order. And then I drive 30 minutes home. I'm there. They're in the sweet spot. They're ready to make a buying decision. I'm going to ask them. How do you feel about taking the next step with me? And then I want to be silent. For me, I close lots of sales with how do you feel? How do you feel about setting up an appointment today? How do you feel about taking the next step? How do you feel about helping me out with a few referrals today? That's a simple close. Uh, An alternative choice close. We can get you started today. The investment is $1,995. And then we also have a payment plan option where you can do $500 down and $500 a month. Those are the two choices. The program for for this one, we're going to allow 20 people to participate. Would you like to be one of the 20 people in the program? Um, Are you ready to take a next step today? There's a nudge close. It goes like this. I'm asking you for the order, and, and you give me an objection, and I really feel it's in your best interest to do whatever it is I'm suggesting. And I'll say, you know, Michael, I really, really firmly believe that this is the right step for you. What do you say we give it a try? And I just encourage you to do it. A lot of times people just need that extra nudge. They're on the fence. They're not quite sure. And when you give them that nudge, it would be like my way of saying to you, Michael, I really believe that this would be the right step for you. I'm recruiting a guy right now, and it would be a big step for him to come and work for my company I was on the phone with him just yesterday, and I believe, this guy's good, I think he could do a million dollars in gross sales with me in the next 12 months. And he's currently working in a company, and he's doing well there, but he wants a change. And I'm using everything I've got to encourage him because I truly believe that he could do a million dollars in sales with me, which he would 
make a lot more money with me than with where he currently is. And so I'm coming from that place of encouraging and nudging and persuading in order for him to take action on a decision that I believe is in his best interest. I had a woman today who lives in Minnesota, and she's considering coming out to one of my trainings. And she says to me, Eric, I trust you, I believe in you, and what do you think I should do? At that point, she's giving me permission to tell her to do it, but there's responsibility with that. Is that I can't look and go, well, I'm going to make whatever commission I'm going to make. I have to sell, and this is a critical part of my philosophy, is focusing on adding value to the prospect. Because you will get people, just like I had this woman today, say to me, Eric, I trust you. What do you think I should do? And I can't betray that trust to make a dollar. I have to direct and advise her based on what I believe is the honest, best decision for her. Uh, when is it too much? When do you lay off? You know, How often should you contact that potential prospect? When do you finally say no? You want to think about, you want to think about your customer, and you want to think about what you're asking them to do, and is this the right decision for them? And if it's the right decision that they're resisting, I will use a tremendous level of persuasion and influence to move someone to action if I truly believe that this is the right decision for them. Now, in some cases, when I'm selling to somebody, I might believe this is a good idea for them to do this, but it's not like make or break. And so if I deliver the presentation, I ask for the order, and they give a fair amount of resistance, I might then just you know, ease up at that point. Say, you know what, I understand it sounds like the timing is just not right for you right now, which is fine. So how much I hang in there with the prospect is going to be influenced by my belief level and what I'm offering and how important it is to this person. Kind of like if I'm selling the cure to cancer to somebody and they've got cancer, I'm going to hang in there until they buy. I'm not giving up in, in that particular case, but we're not always selling the cure for cancer to somebody who has cancer. Sometimes we're just selling something that might mildly improve someone's life. It's a good idea if they do it, but it's not life or death. And so I rely a lot on my intuition, and I'll never go to a place of being pushy. I'll always maintain rapport. And another just good rule of thumb is how would you want somebody who's being politely persistent to follow up with you? I have this one big account right now that they have over 20,000 reps nationwide. I've been working on this account for six months. What do they sell? They have a real estate education product, and they are in, from my viewpoint, really in need of my service. They could really, really benefit from my service. You know, they're doing well. Their business will continue to grow whether I'm involved or not, and I also truly believe I could make a tremendous difference. And so that particular account, unless they tell me to go fly a kite, I will not give up on that account. Because there are 20,000 people that can be positively impacted by my message, it will add value to the company, and it will make a tremendous difference. And so that's one that I will hang in there unless they absolutely tell me, we don't want you to contact me ever again. Man, this is some great stuff. Can you tell me about your ongoing program if I wanted to take you on as my sales trainer for my organization? Sure. If you want to become a doctor, there's a plan. You know, get good grades in high school, go to college, go to medical school. Anyone that has the smarts and is willing to put in the work and can financially afford it or is willing to get the student loans can become a doctor. Um, same thing with a teacher. But what about if you want to become great in sales? You know, what's the plan? And what I did is I created a step-by-step -step plan, just like somebody wants to become a teacher or a doctor, to teach somebody how to become great a persuasion, influence, and selling. And I call this plan step one, step two, step three. And step one is my protege program. For me to teach somebody how to become a sales champion, I'm going to need some time with that person, just like I had time with Dr. Moyne and Dante and Tony Martinez. And so I created a work-from-home program where you can work with me once a week for 30 minutes, and it's on a group conference call. And it's live every Thursday from 4 to 4.30, my time, California time. And what I do is I teach my sales philosophy and my sales system and my concepts and my ideas every week for half an hour. And then we record that call so you can listen live or you can listen on, you know, on the recording. And then after we do the training every week, I do 30 minutes of live Q&A. 
Now, so that's step one, the protege program. And then step two is teaching my script writing system. What I did is I took what I learned from Dr. Moyne and from my own experience, and I developed a formula of how to write an effective sales script. And I think it's a difference maker skill set for anyone in, in sales to have. And so I have the only two-day boot camp that I'm aware of in the world that teaches people how to write sales scripts. And so after somebody gets involved with step one, step two would be to come and train with me for two days and learn how to write sales scripts. And currently, if you join my script writing program, you get a lifetime membership to my script writing club, which means you can repeat the boot camp at no charge for life, and you get access to special script writing conference calls. And then step three is to train with me with a small group of people and to be mentored by me over 12 months. And that's my Platinum Protégé program. And currently, we meet for three two-day sessions over 12 months, and I teach you my sales and marketing philosophies and the things that have worked very, very successfully for me. And those three steps are outlined on my website. And the first step would be to get a sales consultation. Register for that on my website or call my office and request a sales consultation. And then one of my sales consultants will share with you our step, three-step process, and you can decide what step is best for you. Let's say I couldn't travel or I didn't want to travel. What do you have for me that I could start learning in relation to these online? Is there an online component that I could start on? Absolutely. The Protégé program is designed to work with anyone anywhere in the world. I have one client in England. His name is Eric Gilson. I've never met him before. I know him by voice. Um, he's been in my program for over three years. He gets mentored by me once a week. Sometimes he calls in on the live call. Sometimes he listens to the recording. And the way we deliver the, the recordings is we use podcast technology. And so we deliver the audio file directly to your computer, no matter where you live in the world, and that audio file will sit in your computer until you delete it. And so if you never delete it, you'll have these every week, another 30-minute lesson, another 30-minute lesson, another 30-minute lesson. You can be anywhere in the world, and I can turn you into a sales champion. How about the sales scripting boot camp? Sales scripting boot camp, currently we teach that in a live seminar, and I already recognize that there's a need to put that formula in a home study program. And so today, we don't have it in home study, but there will be a time in the not-too-distant future, and it may be videotaping the, the two-day boot camp. It may be me going into the sound studio and creating a product or the combination of both. My vision for anyone in sales is to learn my script writing formula because once you have it, you have the formula for the rest of your life. If you'd like to learn how to write incredible sales scripts for selling more of your product or service, go on over to www.salesscriptingtips.com. That's www.salesscriptingtips.com. S-A-L-E-S-S-C-R-I-P-T-I-N-G-T-I-P-S.com. That's the end of this hour interview with Eric Lawholm. I hope you have found this helpful. I hope you've learned a little bit about his history and his struggles and his success and some of his wonderful case studies with some of his students. And I encourage anyone who wants to increase their sales volume or their sales effectiveness or their sales closing to give Eric a call at area code 916-435-435. 0416. Thanks for listening. For more exclusive interviews on business, marketing, advertising, and copywriting, go to Michael Senoff's hard to find seminars.com.